to the Gensler Design Podcast. The Gensler Design Podcast creates a dialogue between design experts, creative trendsetters, and thought leaders to discuss how we can shape the future of cities through the power of design. I'm your host, David Calkins, the Regional Managing Principal of Gensler, Asia Pacific and Middle East. As we enter the new year, I would like to thank all of our clients and business partners for your support and trust in Gensler. Our success is due both to our clients and the commitment and talent of our dedicated staff. 2023 is an incredibly exciting time for Gensler. Our work environment has been marked by expansive opportunities and growth as we exceeded our own expectations, pushing the design conversation to new places while delivering exceptional work for our clients. We will continue to invest in our strategic expansion in Asia Pacific and Middle East and deliver innovative and full service solutions to holistically address clients' needs through our unique one firm firm approach. We've always placed our clients in the lead position and our collaborations have shaped new thinking, new solutions, and better environments to live, work, and play for people all over the world. Working as trusted advisors, it is our mission to help solve your organization's design and real estate challenges and give you the best service possible. Changes here and more will come. The global economy continues to face steep challenges shaped by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the cost of living crisis caused by persistent and broadening inflation pressures, and the slowdown in China. What can we expect in 2023 economically with regards to the Asia Pacific and Middle East region? With us today is Rajiv DeMello, Chief Investment Officer at Gamma Asset Management. Welcome, Rajiv. How are you? But great. Uh, thank you so much for having me uh, over on your podcast, David. Uh, I just got back from a trip to uh, the UK, Europe and India. So uh, very happy to be back here in Singapore. Well, it's good to have you back. And I was in the US myself for the last few days for our Global Management Committee meeting. So I'm sure we both are bringing uh, all kinds of fresh insights back to the region. But I just wanted to um, say thank you for being a great friend of my wife and I, you and Alexandra, your wife, and uh, ever since we've been in Singapore in 2018. So I really wanted to say thank you for that. And also thank you for being a friend of Gensler and our region. You have graciously shared your insights on the economy here on many occasions. So I really wanted to thank you for that. So you're currently um, Chief Investment Officer at Gamma Asset Investment. Could you please give us a little summary of, of your background and, uh, and then what you currently do at your company? Sure. Well, I have been investing in, uh, in markets uh, for the last 35 years or so. And the focus I have is really understanding economic cycles, understanding what's happening, the interplay between uh, the economic cycles, the political cycles uh, around the world, and what impact that has on this region and on global markets in general. Global markets as in what happens to equities, what happens to bonds, currencies, and commodities. So that's really my role. Then I implement these views uh, in my investment strategy, which goes into the portfolios that uh, we manage at Gamma. You know, we at uh, Gensler have taken a keen interest in the economy over the years, and we've noticed a strong correlation between job growth and our own revenue growth. So always looking forward is what we're trying to do to see what the next year is going to hold. And it's especially interesting and volatile time now in, in the markets and in the economy. So it'll be great to get your insights. But, I, you know, and we want to look ahead, of course, to 2023. But can we take a minute to look back? I got to the region in 2018, and uh, it seems that growth had slowed in some of our economies in, uh, in APME. 
they were slowing sort of in 2018 and 2019 and 2020 was going to be a big bounce back year. And I was really looking forward to that. But then uh, then COVID hit. Can you give us a little background in that period of time about what was happening? Yeah, sure. I think it was um, the end of this very long expansion that we saw, which started after the global financial crisis. And um, whether COVID was hitting or not, there was already a sense of a, of a slowdown. In 2018, um, the U.S. Federal Reserve started hiking rates, and that put in a bit of a dampener on growth in this region. The trade wars as well had picked up at that time and also put in a, a negative backdrop for what was going on in, uh, in Asia. But uh, that, of course, uh, worsened with the COVID crisis and the global sudden stop that we saw everywhere. Um, which uh, impacted our region uh, significantly through its uh, its exports and uh, its uh, tourism. And uh, so the recovery that we've seen now since then uh, was initially very, very strong. In fact, so strong that uh, a lot of central banks had to react. So that's the story of what we've seen until uh, earlier this year. Well, so it's interesting. Our our U.S. offices came out of out of the recession like a rocket, and in fact, our U.S. offices are still fairly busy. But in Asia Pacific, particularly, I think we've seen things be a little bit slower in the economy and a little bit quieter. And uh, it's it's been sort of an interesting dichotomy within our firm. But that may be changing, I suppose, uh, given what our current posture is. So so give us a little bit more about what the current situation is in the in the global economies. Well, I think that uh, what we've seen in the last six months or so, especially when the U.S. Federal Reserve started hiking rates very aggressively uh, since June, just to remind the audience that uh, we've seen four 75 basis points increases in interest rates by the U.S. Federal Reserve and and quite a lot of tightening in monetary policy, higher rates by European central banks, by many other central banks around the world, including in this region. And so that, of course, sort of depresses uh, demand, which is what they wanted to achieve because demand had really gotten overheated in, uh, in many parts of the economy around the world. So now we're in a situation where uh, we're seeing, we've seen this impact of the higher rates. The slowdown in the economy is something that we perceive right now, uh, even though it's still early days. But central banks have also changed their view, they figured now that they've probably increased interest rates by enough. And the most recent data also shows that they're somewhat successful also in bringing inflation down, which is what their goal of higher interest rates has been. So I saw an interview, you did a great interview on Bloomberg, uh, I think in October, and there were some fairly technical issues you talked about there. I was wondering if you, if you could talk a little bit about um, inflation. And I think that's why uh, the central banks have chosen to raise rates as much as they have to try and slow inflation down. But what causes inflation in the first place? And, and what is your take on how we got to the inflationary environment that we're, that we're living in? The phenomenon of inf inflation is really due to more demand than there's supply. And um, in the initial phases of the recession, actually demand just collapsed because all of us stayed at home. We didn't travel to offices anymore, and we really were unable to spend if we if we could. So demand collapsed then, and uh, inflation initially went down. We saw all prices actually go negative very briefly in May 2020. And then afterwards, with the reopening, 
uh, we saw a lot of demand come back. This is what economists often call pent-up demand. So demand which was uh, kept aside when things were tough, um, while people still received a lot of compensation, salaries, a lot of support by governments. And so they were able to spend once um, economies opened. And we can probably all remember that once restaurants opened in this region, everybody flocked to them and it became very difficult to get uh, tables. And, and that was true for many services. And we can still see that with the airline industry. I just came back on a flight and it was completely jam packed. So there's this pent-up demand going on, and that leads to the possibility that companies have to increase prices, and uh, part of that leads to higher inflation. And that's true also for the energy sector, where we saw energy prices go up very significantly as well. That feeds into inflation as well. The household sector through rents, um, everything uh, in the, in the post-pandemic was a question of excess demand. And in the past, of course, central banks had kept interest rates so low that there was a lot of money available. So you have an excess demand, a lot of money, very low interest rates, and that's also a reason for higher inflation. So we've got to try and get that under control. So the central banks start raising rates. And so then you start thinking about the R word, recession. So I was hearing a lot of talk about potential recession in the United States, and maybe we're even in one. But could you talk a little bit about what recession is and then um, whether or not you think we're headed for recession? The definition of a recession is really negative growth. So instead of seeing the regular increase in growth and, and when we measure growth in economic terms, it's, it's after inflation. And usually we see some positive real growth in the economy, which comes from improved productivity, um, as well as um, growth in the population rate as well. But once a recession hits, actually that growth reverses. And uh, there's, a, there's a contraction. It's quite a rare phenomenon, finally, that happens to us once every 10 years or so. The economy um, is all geared towards growth and investing in the future. And so it takes really a back, a back step and then companies have to lay off workers and that makes things worse. And so that's why we are, we're so concerned about a recession. Now, what we're seeing right now is it's a very much an engineered recession. That means the central banks tightened policy, increased interest rates in order to get growth to slow. So it's really their objective to get growth at a slower pace. Their objective is never to get growth the economy to contract but that may be a byproduct to get inflation back to what their target levels are, which is something around 2%. So do you think it's inevitable that, we're, that we will have a recession in the next period of time, let's say in, in 2023? I think it's uh, highly likely that we do get one, but it could be a very mild version of a recession. That would be a good case. Why is that? Is that when we start this process, actually companies are in fairly good shape and so are households. Uh, they, had a, they were sitting on households and companies were sitting on very substantial savings and have been able to draw down those savings. Uh, so they have a cushion, they're not very stretched. Governments have spent a lot uh, during the COVID times, but governments have very deep pockets um, and so they're somewhat less impacted by a, by a slowdown. Also, central banks, which increased rates very, very sharply, are, you know, have the room to actually cut interest rates if they need to avoid a severe recession. 
So to answer your question, I do think we're going in for a moderate a recession, uh, but I don't think it's anything too severe. Well, that's that's good news. Um, I know everybody listening will be be relieved to hear that for the next uh, for the next year. So you mentioned rates being hiked and all. Do you think that we've done enough? Do you think it's likely that rates will be raised a little bit more? Where do you see where do you see those rate hikes stopping? I think we do see um, further rate hikes. The the U.S. Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, and other central banks need to maintain the credibility that they are determined to fight inflation. Because part of the inflation process is also about what people expect. If um, workers expect higher inflation, they'll ask for higher wages. If companies expect higher inflation, they will increase prices. So if central banks can convince economic agents uh, and businesses, households, that inflation is actually coming back to their target, which is roughly around 2% for everybody, uh, then that'll be part of the battle of, uh, of inflation. So that confidence is absolutely critical. So that's why I think central banks will hike rates more. Uh, we should get another rate hike today in December, and we, should, we can expect another rate hike or two uh, in 2023. But the markets are forward-looking, and so interest rate, the interest rate curves, the cost of financing for companies has already reflected those expectations. So in a way, we've passed the peak of um, uh, the stress on companies in terms of cost of financing, and that's the good news. So rates will go up a little bit more into the next year. We may have a little bit of negative growth into the next year, but then at some point, growth is going to resume and things will start picking up. Is that what you're, uh, what you're seeing? Absolutely. And we also have in our region here um, a significant pivot, which is happening in China which also contributes to glo the global growth slowdown, which contributed to the zero COVID policies in China really slowed growth. And as well as the measures that they, the Chinese took to address real estate, which was, you know, they had seen what they thought was a very worrying upward move in real estate prices. And they clamped down very forcefully on, uh, on, the, on the construction market. And now we're seeing a re complete reversal of those policies. Uh, both of them, that means reversal and zero COVID, as well as supporting the construction industry will be good for China. And China's economy is huge uh, compared to the rest of the world. And so that will be very important, not only for this region, but also globally. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So China is very influential here. And I think we had seen um, them reaching out to invest money around the region at a much lower rate. So if they start if they start to increase, that'll only be good for business here, won't it? Absolutely. And I mean, uh, uh, it'll take a little while for confidence to return. I mean, remember that uh, there isn't too much travel between China and the, and the rest of the region, the rest of the world. That'll slowly come back. I think the pivot that we saw about a month ago or starting a month ago, where there's a de-emphasis in the severity of uh, COVID-19, um, the importance of getting on with uh, the economy and with work, similarly to what we had seen about 12 to 14 months ago in the U.S. and Europe, that is hitting China right now, which will be quite strong in terms of the, the recovery. Right now, there's some uncertainty in terms of the measures, in terms of how bad the infections can get. But there is that confidence that this has happened in the rest of the world and uh, people have... Um, 
maybe gotten infected, gotten a bit sick for a little while, but have recovered and have survived and um, have started spending, investing, traveling and, um, and investing in the rest of the region, as you mentioned. So I think this is something to look forward to in 2023 and a major contributor to growth. So can we talk about the real estates a little bit, particularly at what we see is when rates go up, the cost of financing for our clients um, is more expensive. We see projects maybe go on hold. At the same time, when construction costs are increasing rapidly, um, that puts stress on the project budgets as well, too. And we sometimes see projects not going forward. How are you seeing the real estate markets um, in 2023? As uh, as you know better than I do, the the pressure of higher rates was uh, is very difficult on on various parts of the real estate market globally, and um, it is the sector which is the most sensitive to to higher interest rates. There are two components to those high interest rates. It's one the interest rates that are set by central banks, but there's also the credit spreads which are then added on top of that and those those increased as well so both together made it particularly uh, expensive in terms of financing especially expensive compared to what companies were used to in the last few years in the last five to ten years as well but now with uh with the view that um that i have that inflation is peaking i mean we had some inflation numbers yesterday and those inflation numbers are actually very well behaved Headline inflation is still about 7% in the U.S., but that's down from 9 in June. But on a month-to-month basis, uh, which looks at one month compared to the part than last month, inflation is really down very significantly. So that's going to be good for interest rates. And it's also good for those credit spreads that I mentioned as well. So both of those will reverse the higher move that we got, make projects more affordable. It'll take a while for us to get back to levels um, of affordability that we saw a few years before the, or a few years ago before the pandemic, but it will make uh, projects more interesting and it will attract investments back into the real estate market. Well, it's also good to hear, Rajesh. So, can you talk a little bit about um, difficult availability of energy, particularly in Europe? How are you seeing that impacting things going forward? Yeah, energy as uh, was was really a shock, another shock which uh, hit um, global markets in 2022, and as you mentioned, particularly strongly it hit uh, Europe. Now, uh, due due to the war, due to the closing of uh, of gas supplies from Russia, embargoes were just implemented most recently. It has made it expensive and uncertain, and a great source of stress for companies and households to make sure that they had enough uh, energy for heating this winter, as well as energy to continue their businesses as well. Now, we've seen quite a sharp decline in energy over the last month or so, which is, of course, uh, welcome. It's volatile, so I wouldn't make any predictions that energy prices will continue to decline. But what we can note is many products and energy prices are now at levels below where they were a year ago, clearly below where they were at the start of the Ukraine war. That's very positive. Um, it may be partly due to the slowdown in the economy that we just talked about, uh, which, uh, which was priced in during uh, the last uh, few quarters. But it could also be that um, many of the, the flows of energy uh, have found some kind of solutions as well 
So while energy prices may not revert completely on a sustainable basis to where they were before the war, they certainly are less of a threat uh, to growth uh, than what we thought they could be uh, just a few months ago. So that's, uh, that's a positive. But over the medium term, I do expect energy prices to remain somewhat higher than they were before. There hasn't been enough investment in energy. And there's a cost of this transition towards cleaner energy, which uh, we all have to pay for in one way or the other. Well, coming back to the region, are there any particular countries or, uh, or locations here uh, in APME that, um, that you think would be particularly bright spots in the next year? Well, I'm starting with this very uh, optimistic view on, on China's recovery. Um, I think that we will have really quite a flip between a very, very slow and stagnant Chinese economy in 2022 and a, a very substantial bounce back by the time we reach the end of 2023. So that, of course, has major impacts on the rest of the region. Some or many countries uh, are part of the supply chain into China. They will do better. Um, we also should see uh, eventually an increase in tourism. It's not something for the first quarter, the second quarter, but as we go into the second half of, of next year, we should really see Chinese tourists return to countries which are, are very dependent on, uh, on tourism. I'm thinking about countries like Thailand, for example, which, uh, which really suffered from a decline in tourism, and I could expect that to recover. Countries like Korea, for example, which depend uh, on supplying uh, China with all kinds of products, notably tech, that should also uh, improve as well. So I can see quite a lot of countries uh, see an improvement. I mean, Indonesia and Australia, they supply the region and China with commodities. We're seeing commodity prices like iron ore uh, recover quite substantially, copper prices as well. So those raw material exporters uh, will also do well. Well, we'll look forward to that, Rajiv. That's great. Here's kind of a an off-the-wall question, but there's been a lot of uh, news about crypto and cryptocurrency has been negatively portrayed lately and so forth. Um, and I had heard links of cryptocurrency to real estate investing and that kind of thing. What, what is your view on uh, on that whole world? Yeah, I think the, the events that we saw in the last few weeks um, uh, have, uh, have put a lot of pressure on the investment thesis around crypto. Perhaps uh, crypto was also one of the sectors which benefited from the very easy money. Uh, when we look past at cycles, there's always some areas which uh, really attract a lot of that money which is sloshing around, and crypto seems to have been one of them. The regulatory crackdown, uh, we're already seeing signs of that. It's going to be very severe. It'll probably bring down um, many of the tokens uh, which might not have had really a full justification. I think the industry will survive, but in a much more you know, shrunk uh, level. And uh, yeah, where, where we have uh, businesses which are dependent on, uh, on crypto, I think that they will also feel the cold spell, which is hitting right now. Do you think world governments will wind up coming out with um, essentially electronic currencies that would maybe replace crypto? I think uh, a lot of governments are trying to develop some kind of electronic uh, currencies. The challenge for them is that uh, the, the banking system is actually quite uh, dynamic and has evolved to improving transfers and 
and payment systems, does um, do governments really need to step in into uh, a central bank digital currency? That's something which is uh, not fully decided yet uh, because it'll have a very significant impact on on the private sector, which also finds solution to payments as well. Beyond crypto, I mean, just making a transfer right now is so much easier than it was uh, five years ago. That'll be one we'll have to sort of keep our eye on, right? Well, for those of us out there trying to manage our own investment portfolios, do you have any personal advice for us in 2023? Well, I think that when when things look uh, extremely uh, negative, like they did uh, in the last month or so, uh, one really has to look at uh, cycles of the past and see that it's during those times when there are real, really incredible opportunities and to stay the course because uh, sometimes it's very disheartening when one sees very large declines in one's portfolio. Um, but I think that uh, the best investments usually happen when uh, when the sentiment is, uh, is very poor. And uh, it was a month ago. It has improved. But this is a time for people to become more positive uh, on their own investments as well. Well, um, thank you, Rajiv. I've really enjoyed hearing about your perspectives and, uh, and ideas about our about the economy in our region. Um, anything else you'd like to give us before we wrap up? Um, no, I think I mean the discussion was uh, was really interesting. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. I think we've just lived through these very violent economic shifts that, uh, that we talked about which makes planning very difficult for companies. I mean, even central banks and their armies economists have, have been caught wrong-footed. And so even though I have this more positive view on 2023, I do expect some of that volatility to continue. So I think for, for companies, uh, it is critical to have a very clear strategic plan and sufficient buffers uh, to, to uh, withstand that volatility. Well, thanks, Rajiv. Best of luck to you and, uh, and to Gamma in uh, 2023. Um, Happy New Year, and uh, we'll look forward to, to having you on again as a guest. We sure appreciate your time today. I've been talking to Rajiv DeMello, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Gamma Asset Investment. I'm David Calkins. Thank you very much, and we'll see you on the next podcast.